I appreciate Ashley sharing with us this morning. And you know, one of the things that we uh, have started doing since we've been in Core 52 is, is asking anyone who, who speaks uh, to share with us what their favorite verse is. And then, you know, just like here on, on mine, we have it right there. My favorite verse, Hebrews 10, uh, 14, for by one sacrifice, he's made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. That's just a verse that memorized several years ago that I hang on to uh, that gives me hope that, man, I don't have to be perfect for God to love me. He's already made me perfect because of my faith in, in Jesus. Uh, Ashley, her favorite verse, uh, I, I looked it up. I, I enjoy whenever I see one pop up, turning to it and just seeing what it was. And I just think it's a good word for us this morning as, as we get started. And if you missed it, hers is Isaiah 58, 11. It says, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. That's a good word for us to start off this morning. So let me open us up with a, a word of prayer. God, thanks that you refresh our souls. You give us life. You lead us into abundant life. You point us to eternal life, and we are so grateful for that. And I, I imagine that this past week, um, many of us walked through uh, what really felt like sun-scorched lands. We feel parched, we are thirsty, uh, our souls are dry. God, would you rain down your spirit fresh upon us and do the work that you desire to do within us. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So if someone asked you this week, what does it mean to be a Christian? How would you answer? My friend Dylan asked me that question one night several years ago. Dylan uh, wasn't a follower of Jesus when we first met, but he was very spiritually curious. And he asked if we could just kind of get together and talk about life and talk about faith. And so over the course of a few months, that's what we did. We would meet for coffee, we'd meet for dinner, we'd meet for lunch, and we'd just talk about those things and, and how they intersect and, and just what was going on in his life. And he had all these questions that we just kind of walked through. And, and one, one night uh, after our time together, Dylan looked at me and he's like, all right, I'm ready. Like, let's do this. I'm, I'm ready to start following Jesus. And so we celebrate. It was like, man, this is, this is what we've been praying for and, and what I'd been hoping for him. And so we were, we were really excited. And as we were driving home that night, Dylan was, was just super excited about everything that God was doing in his life. And, and he kind of had that energy of renewal inside of him. And then, and then all of a sudden he got really quiet and almost even just a little bit reflective. And he looked at me and he's like, so what now? <laughs> like, what does it mean to be a Christian? And I gave him the lamest answer I could possibly give someone whose life was being transformed by Christ and was looking for something more. I was like, I don't know if I, I just was caught off guard by the question, if I was like, you know, paying more attention to traffic, or I, this is just what I believe. I, I really don't know, but I was like, you just, well, now I guess you, you read your Bible and you go to church and you pray. And, and Dylan's like, well, I already do all those things. Like, what, what do I do now? I look back on that and I think, you know, I'm not sure that that's the way that Jesus would have answered that question. 
Like certainly, don't get me wrong, reading your Bible and praying and going to church, like yeah, those are important things that we do as followers of Jesus, but that's not what it means to be a Christian. We do those things to to fuel our faith and to connect with the Lord and to connect with one another, but that's not what it means to be a Christian. It's so much more than that. It's so much better than that. And so what does it mean? What would you say to someone who asked you that question? In our text today, Jesus gives us a clear picture of what it means to follow him. And it's, it's a lot harder than what I told Dylan that night. But man, it's a whole lot more inspiring too. Jesus tells us that to follow him, it's gonna cost us more than what we think. But it leads us to abundant life that is better than we could ever imagine. If you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, we got the pew Bibles there. And in front, if you wanna grab one of those as, as well, Matthew chapter 16, we're gonna be starting in verse 13 this morning. And we're, we're starting this, this new series today called Bottom Line, and over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be just kind of taking a look at the bottom line. Like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What is the hope and the promises that we have uh, as those who are followers of, of Jesus? And, and it's building upon the, the last series as we're working through Core 52. The, over the last few weeks, we took a deep dive into the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to kind of be rounding out the book of, of Matthew. And, and if you're new with us this morning, again, like Ashley said, we are in week 23 of Core 52, uh, this, this year-long journey through like the most important passages in scripture that everybody needs to know. And so we're, we're talking about them here on Sunday mornings. Uh, our life groups are meeting through the week to talk about. If you want to be a part of a life group, we'd love to get you connected in to, to one of those. Uh, there's some personal study that goes on through the week. We got, we got a book out in the lobby. If you want to pick one of those up, they're $10, so you can join us with that. Or if you don't have $10, we'll just give you a book because we want you to dive into it. But, but one of the things that we're doing with Core 52 is we're, we're encouraging everyone to, to practice some scripture memorization, to, to not just talk about these verses and, and learn about these verses, but to actually, actually hide them in our head and hide them in our, our heart, to memorize scripture. And, and the passage that we're looking at today uh, was actually the very first passage of scripture that I ever memorized. I was a junior in high school. I wasn't even a follower of Jesus yet, but I was spiritually curious. And someone invited me uh, to an FCA event one morning. And so I showed up, uh, not really knowing what to expect, but knowing that I just wanted to learn a little bit more about Jesus and a little bit more about what it means to be a, a Christian. And, and the speaker that morning taught on this passage that, that we're looking at today. And, and I remember that for a couple of different reasons. One, I remember it because he had us repeat this verse over and over and over until we had locked it into our mind. And what I didn't realize at the time is, is how God would use that moment to not just lock this scripture in my mind, but that how it would eventually trickle down into my heart. And when I finally made that decision to follow Jesus, this verse just hit me like a ton of bricks about what it actually means. And it's actually a verse that as I take communion each and every week that I recite again and again, just as a reminder of what it means to follow Jesus. The second reason I remember that he taught on this is because at the time, 
I didn't like it. <laughs> At the time, as I was exploring faith and what it means to follow Jesus, I walked away going, that's too much. I don't know that I'm ready or willing to make that kind of commitment. When, when, I, when I hear about Jesus saying, no, if you want to follow me, you have to lose your life. You have to lay your life down. You have to deny yourself and follow me. At that stage in my, in my life, I, I wanted to hang on to things. I wasn't willing to quite surrender to him yet. It wasn't a price that I was ready to pay. And the disciples in the passage, I, I think they're kind of wondering if it's a price that they're willing to pay too. Let's look at our text together. I think it's one of the most defining moments in, in Scripture. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and in the Core 52 reading this week, you'll, you'll learn why that's an important location. He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, that's right. That's it. It's the first time this title has been given to Jesus. And in response, Jesus gives a new title to, to Simon. He calls him Peter, which means the rock. And he says, upon that rock, the church will be built. And it's not, it's not the rock of Peter, the person. It's the rock of Peter, the confession that he made that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. And for the disciples who were following him, this was huge they have seen Jesus heal. They had heard him teach with boldness. They had watched him lead. And, and, and as, as hundreds gathered around with this devotion to, to follow him. And so at this moment, they're probably thinking to themselves, this guy's going to take over the world. And we get to be with him when he doesn't. Jesus quickly sets them straight. And he says, no, it's not how this is going to work. Verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders. Jesus says, I'm going to go and suffer at their hands, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Let's, let's leave the scripture right here. Have you ever... Have you ever had one of those conversations with someone where they say something and it just like, it ignites something in you, the anger, passion, something, and, 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 and at that moment, you, you stop paying attention to what they're saying and you start thinking about what you're going to say in response to what they just said? I think that's what happens to Peter here in this moment. He hears Jesus say that he's gonna suffer, that he's gonna die, and he misses that last part. <laughs> Because, because look at what happens next. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human 
concerns. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to suffer. I'm even going to be killed. And Peter, Peter says, no, that cannot happen to you. You are the king. But I think what he missed was that important next part that Jesus said about the resurrection. That this wasn't the end. It was just the beginning. Either way, Peter the rock becomes Peter the stumbling block. And Jesus calls him out for getting in the way of what God was doing and how he was doing it. You see, the disciples thought that the road to glory that Jesus was on and that by extension they were on too, that the road to glory is paved in exaltation and and filled with victory. But Jesus knows that the road to true glory is paved in humility. And that's going to be filled with suffering. And the rhetorical question that Jesus leaves with them and, and that I think the text leaves with us is, so do you still want to follow me? you still want to go where I go? And to make sure that they knew exactly what they were saying yes to, Jesus gives them and us a clear picture of what it means and what it costs to follow him. Verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, it's our core verse, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The Son of Man is going to come in the Father's glory and with the angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So Jesus makes it very clear that if you want to be his disciple, You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him wherever the road may lead. And and today, we look up at the cross, and we view it as this symbol of of love and sacrifice, of of devotion. We talk about about taking up our cross as, as bearing uh, burdens or, or problems to, to carry. But, but in that day, the cross represented a, a horrific means of capital punishment. I was thinking about it this week. If, if a first century Roman were to walk into our, our worship center and look up at the cross, he'd be like, why in the world do you have that thing up there? Do you know what that represents? It would be like us walking in and seeing something like an electric chair up there. Like, who celebrates that? They understood that the cross meant death. To carry your cross meant to walk towards death. Roman execution was so awful that the Romans wouldn't even use it as a form of capital punishment on their own citizens. They only reserved it for those who were non-Romans. And that's what Jesus points to. He says, if you want to follow me, you've got to die to yourself. You've got to take up that cross and follow me. 
got to lay down your life. But when we do, he tells us, that's when you'll find it. Hold on to it and you're only going to lose it, but lose it for me and you are going to find it. In other words, Jesus invites us to let go of our life and to find true life in him. To let go of our life, to find true life in him. That's kind of push pause right right here. This is a a lot to take in. Everyone stretch out, catch your breath. (laughs) I want to go back to that that question. We we kind of glossed over it, but that question in verse um, 13, where Jesus says, who do people say that that I am? That's a question that people are still asking, even still today. Who is Jesus? And there's a variety of different answers that, that you'll find. Some people say, you know, Jesus lived. He was an historical figure. And he believed so much in like his philosophy and his values and his way of life that he was willing to, to die for them even. But like, that's it. There's, there's no resurrection. There's no e- eternal life. Some people believe that Jesus was just this mythical figure. He was kind of created as the ideal person to, to kind of live up to uh, as, a, as this way of, of living and, and loving and, and serving others. But again, it's just kind of, you know, this spaghetti monster in, in the sky. It's just all kind of fake. It's not, not real. But I know a lot of people, and, and maybe you do too, that believe that Jesus did exist, but, but the only thing that he really was was a, a good moral teacher. Again, no resurrection, no eternal life. He lived, he taught good stuff, solid stuff, but then he died and his teachings were so inspirational that people just kind of picked up, made some more myths about him to, to you know, create what we, what we know of him today. But, but really, if you boil it down, they would just say, yeah, he's just a good moral teacher. But, but here's what I'm telling you. There is no way that that Jesus could teach what he's teaching and be a good moral teacher if he didn't believe that there was something more than just this life. There is no way that he could tell us to be willing to lay down our life for him, surrendering everything to him if he knew that this life was it and once we die, we die. That, that's the, the kind of devotion that cult leaders demand. That's the kind of devotion that the cruelest dictators demand. But Jesus knows that this life is not it. He knows that whatever we lose in this life, even if it is our very life, that there is something greater that awaits us in eternal life. Eternity has to be at the forefront of our minds when we weigh the cost of following Jesus. Otherwise, we can easily come to the conclusion that it's not a price worth paying. If this life is, is it, and like, once we die, it's done. Like If this is it, then then man, I am going to eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow I might die. And that's the philosophy of so many people in our world today. I'm going to amass all the treasures, enjoy all the pleasures that I possibly can in this world because this life is it. But if this life is just a blip on the radar of all of eternity, And man, there is nothing worth holding on to if it means I'm going to lose out on that. There is nothing worth fighting for 
and demanding if it means missing out on abundant life now and eternal life with him forever. His invitation to let go of our life is an invitation to find true life in him, to find the things that really matter, things that we cannot lose and things that can never be taken away from us. And so what does it mean to lose our life for Jesus? To die to ourselves and to live for him. To the people that Jesus originally is talking to here and to many of our brothers and sisters right now and throughout the centuries, like it is a literal invitation to come and die. And that's what they did. They lost their life for their faith. But I don't think it just means that. I, I think it probably means something a little bit different for each one of us. It, it comes down to what is that thing that we hold on to that we're not quite willing to let go of for, for him. I, I think it means that when it comes down to what I want and what God wants, God wins every time. God wins in every area of my life. I think that's what it means to deny ourselves and follow him. It means that there is this complete and total surrender to him. Jesus took up his cross to usher in the kingdom of heaven. And now we carry our cross to make that kingdom known to others. Even if it means laying down our dreams, even if it means laying down our goals, our comforts, our preferences in order to help others find and follow Jesus, no matter what it might cost. One of my heroes of the faith is this guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a German theologian and pastor during the rise of Adolf Hitler. And, and as Hitler became more and more influential in Germany, and if you read through history, more and more influential even in the German church, Bonhoeffer spoke out louder and louder against him. And at, and at first, Hitler's rise seemed good for the church. Everyone kind of celebrated it, but Bonhoeffer was able to see through it, and that put him at odds with many of his, his contemporaries. He started noticing that his friends and colleagues were being arrested because of their faith, some of them Jewish, some Christian, but, but teaching against Hitler and the true meaning of the church and following Jesus. He started seeing all of this. He saw the harm that Christian nationalism and blind loyalty to this dictator was doing to the name of Jesus. And so Bonhoeffer took a stand and it eventually cost him his, his life. He began these, these underground seminaries where he would teach people who are hungry for the word of God and what it truly means to know, love, and follow Jesus. He would teach that and then send them out as these missionaries to try to thwart what was going on in their country and in the world. And eventually Bonhoeffer had seen enough people executed. He'd seen enough people go off to concentration camps and never be seen or heard from again that he thought, I need to do more. And so he was a part of a failed execution attempt of Hitler. And because of that, he was executed on April 9th, 1945. Bonhoeffer counted the cost of following Jesus and considered it a price that was worth paying because of the life and the grace that he had received. And his theology of, of all of his writings, and it, and it is numerous, his writings, but of all of his writings, you could probably sum up his theology and his, and his, and his theology in, in, in this one phrase. He writes this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come 
and die. That's what it means to be a Christian. Come and die. And that should have been my answer to Dylan's question that night because, because it's what Jesus' answer to him would have been. Take up your cross. Die to yourself. And follow me. And it's not just in the big sacrifices that the disciples, that Bonhoeffer and many others through the centuries have, have made Taking up our cross and following Jesus is about those little by little, moment by moments, acts of submission and surrender to God's will each and every day. It's saying, God, today I want to surrender more than I did yesterday. And I want to surrender to you tomorrow more than I did today. It's praying your kingdom come, your will be done, and then going out and acting on it. And when we do, our actions and our attitudes will start to, to transform and, and be a reflection of Jesus in us and working on us and working through us. We will live like him. We will love like him. We will be a part of what God is doing to redeem and restore and renew this world. We will find abundant life in Jesus and we will hold on to the promise of eternal life because of him. We will find hope when we feel hopeless and we will be able to love even the most unlovable as Jesus loved us. See, Jesus knows that there is nothing in this life that can give us the abundant life that we desire, and there is nothing in this life worth losing our eternal life for. And so he does the most loving thing that he could possibly do, and he invites us to lose our life so that we may find it. And the only way that we can do it is when we daily take up our cross and we follow him, when we die daily to ourselves and surrender to him. We put him and his kingdom priorities above our own. And I wonder this morning, if there's an area of your life, if there's an area of your life that you need to crucify with Christ so that it is no longer you who lives, but Christ lives in you. Is there an area of your life that you hold on to and you, and you say, God, I surrender all except that. <laughs> like that one's mine. That, that means too much to me. That's too important to my security, my sense of identity. I think I know what to do with this area of my life more than what you do, Lord. And so I'm just gonna kind of hold on to that. Is there an area in your life that you've kind of locked God out of? Maybe it's your finances. And we took a hard hit at those the last couple of weeks. Again, not because we wanted any of it, but because we know that God wants your heart. Are you holding on to that, to the way that it's getting in the way of what God wants to do in you? Your time, your relationships, your sexual life. Is there an addiction that you run to over and over and over to find comfort and, and you just can't let go of it or you just won't let go of it? A hurt that you're holding on to, a hang up, maybe even a habit. I would venture to guess that every single one of us have something like that. I know I do. What would it look like for you to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus in that part of your life this week? to fully and wholly surrender that over to him. Maybe this is the week that you finally seek help.
This is the week that you finally admit that you have a problem. Maybe today is the day that you make that phone call, you end that relationship, you delete that app, you work through that issue, you confess that sin as a way to say, God, when I say I surrender all to you, I truly mean I want to surrender all to you. Maybe today is the day when you finally die to yourself to find true life in Jesus. You start walking with him. You identify with his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, just like those that we saw earlier today. And you partner with him to redeem and restore and renew what sin has broken in your life and in this world. That's what it means to be a Christian. That is what the, the Father is inviting you into. Without surrendering our present life to Jesus, we cannot experience abundant life or eternal life with him. And I'm telling you, nothing in this life is worth holding on to to the point that we miss out on life with him now and for all eternity. And so if you're ready to take that first step, if you're ready to take that next step, we wanna help you along in that journey. Jesus took up his cross and died for us. Let's take up our cross and go out and live for him. Just stand with me and I'll close this with a word of prayer. Whew, God, thanks for heavy texts that sometimes convict us more than we are comfortable with. I know this text yet again, Lord, <laughs> did that for me this week. And so Father, I pray that your spirit will do exactly what you want to do in us right now. And that Lord, you will lead us in the way that we need it to surrender all to you, to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow you. In Jesus' name.